Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 42 of Conquering Columbus. We've got a great guest lined up for you today, Mr. Troy Allen of Rise Brands. And uh, really excited for this episode. Troy's a fun guy, and he's a really creative guy, so we hope you enjoy listening to all the things he has to say. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we got a great guest with us. Mr. Troy Allen, he's the founder of Rise Brands, and that's the company behind um, two of Columbus' most popular downtown bars, 16-Bit and Pins. Before creating Rise Brands, Troy led his own, more standard marketing firm, Elevate Thinking. And uh, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Troy. Thanks for having me. Going? It's it's going good, busy as usual. It's good. But uh, this is a nice little break for an hour, so. <laughs> yeah. What's a typical day in your life look like today right now? Uh, you know, I go into it with a list. You know, but it's, I have so many things pop up. Um, I am not an early morning person, so I'll be honest with you. I get up at like 6 a.m. and do all my emails, uh, get the day started, and usually go back to bed. <laughs> and then uh, I usually typically get down to the office probably around like 9, 30, 10. Um, you know, looking it's at... It's just no- called napping. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I do that during the day too sometimes. Uh, but no, I mean it's uh, you know looking at all the numbers from the night before, any issues that we've had. Um, we're currently working on two new concepts, um, so do that a lot. Uh, building out uh, two more pins, so we're in the midst of that. Um, but you know, a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, and then a lot of putting out fires. I, I I'm pretty much a full time janitor. So uh, there's a lot of questions I could branch off that, but before we do that, I kind of want to set the stage for everybody listening and talk about your background, maybe take us back to your earlier years, college, and then bring us up to when you created Elevate Thinking, and then we'll start building off that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, was, I was always good at art, um, which is, is kind of weird because I was always into sports as well. Um, so I played three sports in high school, but I was fortunate enough that – I had a relationship with a family friend who was working for the third largest ad agency in Ohio at the time. So my senior year of high school, I was working there. Um, so I would go to school in the morning and then I'd you know, go work at the ad agency and literally run mail, cut key lines, like way back before computers. Um, and so I got into advertising at an early age. Um, went to uh, CCAD uh, for a year uh, was not feeling art school uh, so much, uh, and uh, transferred back to Kent State. Um, went to school at Kent State. I was fortunate enough there that this large agency at the time was called Hessel Barton Minton, and they kind of collapsed and broke apart. So all of a sudden now, I had these contacts at all these agencies up in northeastern Ohio. So I ended up going to work for a company called Soltis Tangement and Partners uh, in college. So I, I worked full-time while I was in school, uh, paid my way through school. Uh, my professors were nice enough that they knew I was working full-time, so they let me turn in my real-life work as projects. And so I really didn't go to class a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, finished up school at Kent, uh, became a product designer um, out of school, uh, it went from advertising to product design. For me, I like three-dimensional. So it was, it was like the best of all worlds. I got to design physical product. I got to design the packaging that went with that. And then kind of the in-store as well. So I did a lot of collectible stuff for Harley-Davidson, Coca-Cola, Disney World. And to me, it was always, and this is this all transition to now later on, but I always got a thrill of going into a store and seeing someone buying one of my products. Um, at the time, I was just a designer. I wasn't really making any money off of it, you know, but uh, it was always the coolest feeling. Um, did that for a while, moved to Chicago, uh, spent about two years there, uh, got an offer from the company in Cleveland I was designing product for to come back as creative director. And it was one of those things that you know, you throw out a ridiculous number, and you're like, oh, this is what it would take to get me back from Chicago. And the guy said, all right, great, but I want you here on Monday. So literally, I was like, oh, he called my bluff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, I, I moved back. I mean, that weekend, I packed everything up. Did you just kind of drop a line in your inbox, or, like, how did that happen? Uh, you know, we had, we had had a couple conversations. Um, I knew that you know, they needed to kind of reinfuse a little more creativity in what they were doing and the lines that they were developing kind of got a little stale. Um, I also needed to move away for a while. 
so yeah, it was just one of those things he reached out. Uh, he was a, he was a great businessman. I mean, he, I learned a lot, uh, from, from him, from a business standpoint, um, just importing and developing product and what it costs and markup upon markup upon markup by the time a consumer buys it. It was just interesting to see all that. So I came back and uh, worked for for them for about two more years. Uh, at the time, the company was called Zonex um, up in Cleveland. What were their products? Did you already mention that? Uh, they, several, they, they specialize in collectibles, uh, arts and crafts, and toys. So, um, and they had, they, they had a lot of licenses. So we did uh, the craft segment and art segment for Disney. So if you go to, you know, the Disney parks and you see, like, all the crayons that are shaped like the characters, that's the type of stuff they do. Um, did product for Harley-Davidson, Coca-Cola, uh, and then a lot of specialty stuff. Uh, so, like, the Museum Company, which is a store in New York, uh, developed stuff for them. One of my favorite things, though, from, like, way back when, and I wish I still had one, uh, is we used to do a lot of stuff for Sundance uh, Film Festival. And... I got to develop, a, for some reason, we used to do a lot of snow globes. And I got to develop a snow globe that was the wood chipper, chipper scene from uh, the movie Fargo. So literally, there's a foot sticking out of the wood chipper. And when you shook it up, it snowed and blood went everywhere. <laughs> oh, man. So, but the, the, thing that's, the thing that's crazy is... The reviews were mixed. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think it was awesome. Um, but the, this is a total sidebar now. But those snow globes, I hope to, I hope they've changed them since, uh, because to get them to that consistency, it was like thirty three percent kerosene in those things, and so They're like Molotov cocktails, right, the little Molotov they are. It's so over time they start to deteriorate and leak, and it's just like this oil and ooze everywhere. It's actually kerosene. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, you, you built time bombs. I guess. Uh. I guess. <laughs> that was that was a good at this point almost 20 years ago mm-hmm. so hopefully things well, have changed they, they gotta be the replaced with gasoline by now well, wait, the other thing I'm saying is I hope that the parents weren't handing their children snow globes of people getting stuffed into wood sheppers and bleeding everywhere they have to grow up someday Mike right. <laughs> Come on. but um, one of my questions was I mean you were talking about working with brands like Disney and Harley Davidson things like that but um, one of the things that stuck out in my mind is that Disney and Harley Davidson are very different brands Yep. so when you're a company working on those two things, how do you keep, you know, like how do you design brands for such different uh, groups? You know, it, in the end, it's really just focusing on the end audience. Um, and, you know, as, as, we, as I transitioned into advertising, um, it was, for us, it was really figuring out the audience first. So who are we communicating to? Uh, what type of mes- message resonates with them? What are their likes? And then really took a look at their day and where can you start inserting stuff into their day that's easily digestible. So with products, I mean, it's, it was the same thing. It was, you know, who's the, who's the demographic? You know, we look long and hard at that. What are their likes? Um, what are their habits? Um, I mean, we did an ashtray for Harley-Davidson. There was actually the logo. It was a big cigar one, and it was all cut out. And so you just tap on the top of it, and the ashes would fall through. And, you know, something like that, again, me liking to work with my hands, I actually carved the physical mold that went over to China that they did the mold for. Um, but, yeah, it's, just, it's looking at audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it's always focusing on the audience and delivering either, you know, messaging and experience or content that's just going to resonate with them. 
So what did the path look like from there to transitioning into advertising? I mean, again, my background was always design. Um, you know, I, I went back in to, you know, from Cleveland, I came to Columbus, I followed a girl, everybody ends up doing it at one point. Um, luckily, she's my wife now. Uh, but I, I moved down here to Columbus, and at the time, I was like, you know, I'm just going to start my own company. And, and I started uh, a company, which not a lot of people know this, and it's, it's, it, it was actually called Yort Design. Um, Yort is what my mom calls me, because growing up, I had a mild form of dyslexia. So I'd always write my name on my papers backwards. So, um, so she used to always call me that growing up. So I started a design firm uh, when I moved down here. Not knowing anybody, not knowing the community, uh, I was young and dumb, and I just like to drink and golf. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we, you know, we had the company for about two years, and I took on a, a friend of mine, uh, joined the business, who was working at Abercrombie at the time. He came over and handled uh, the business side of things. I handled the creative side. You know, we did clients for, you know, we had Scotts, uh, did stuff for them, um, did stuff for a lot of healthcare. Being over here is weird for me because there, was there or still a company around here called GSO, GSO uh, America? There might be. It sounds familiar, but I've never seen it drive here. Seen it I actually thought it was in this building, uh, but they they did mulch, so we d- developed all their their bags and a line for Target and and stuff like that. We're so. in the corner of Fifth and Riverside for those out there who aren't uh, yeah. aren't up on where headquarters are. You know, <laughs> <it should be. laughs> Podcast headquarters. Don't look online; it'll say some website it'll say someplace over in uh uh hamilton and let's be honest right now we're sitting in a basement somewhere yeah okay (laughs) well it's a really nice basement all right there's lights and carpet because he tried to try to leave him before the interview (laughs) so So, starting a business like that here not knowing too many well how are you able to land such large-scale customers i've never been scared of going and knocking on doors um you know i mean we we just we hustled um, you know, we, we talked to people, um, we showed the work that I had done in, in the past, and we just, we grew it that way. Now, we were young and ended up, you know, a bad split with a, like a lifelong friend who, you know, left the business and, you know, ended up shutting down the business just because, again, we were, we were young. I mean, every, I would say every ounce of money we probably drink or just waste it. Um, we weren't really smart at the time. But we had a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, from there I went back to, you know, traditional, uh, advertising. Um, I got offered a job, uh, with a large branding firm in Cincinnati, uh, called LPK and, uh, they do a lot of, uh, P&G work. And so I was not ready to move to Cincinnati. So I, I, I took the job with a, given them the commitment of 10 months of determining if it was going to work or not. And I commuted from Columbus every day. That was a train wreck. That was awful. And that's a grind. What is that, like an hour and a half? Well, and I said at the beginning of this, I'm not a morning person. So yeah. I, was, I was getting up at 5 every morning. You can't nap while driving. Oh. Well, if you have a Tesla, you can. That's true. You can now. But yeah, that was, <laughs> that was, a, that was a long, long time for me. I mean, it, but, you know, again, I, was, I got to work on some great brands. I mean, I, I worked on uh, Pringles at the time down there. Um, we did uh, a lot of uh, head and shoulder stuff, and I was briefly, it's, it's kind of my claim to fame, but 
I was briefly on the Team Tampax. I was like the only guy on, on when they were introducing the Pearl to the market. So uh, um, after being down there for about 10 months, they wanted me to come on full time and move down there and play a bigger role, and I just wasn't ready. So I, uh, I came back up and uh, took a job up here in uh, Columbus. And so uh, when did you move to found uh, Elevate Thinking? So there, let me, let me, let me get you there. Uh, when I came back, I, I worked with a company now called Ology here in town. At the time, it was called Method. Um, so I was there for about a year and a half. Um, I went over to another agency in town called Falgren, and I was brought in to start a new division that was more design-focused. Um, you know, Falgren's a very traditional agency. And they wanted to get back to that kind of branding and, and, and really being more than just on air in print. So we started, uh, I started a, a division there at the time was called Machine. And it was strictly design. It was branding. And I had the huge opportunity of, you know, bringing in a lot of really young talent, uh, some that are still with me today. And so I was creative director uh, at Falgren for about almost six years um, and then from there uh, there was the big collapse of agencies uh, probably about I don't know, six years ago now seven years ago and um, you know I found myself out of a job and uh, I think it took me a whole hour to say okay I'm gonna start my own business right <laughs> and uh, you know so started uh, Elevate um, at the time my wife was eight months pregnant uh, with our first child and um, I had a couple clients that I had taken to the agency so part of my exit was the ability for them to come with me um, and we just we expanded it fairly quick uh, we grew drastically in the first two years so. what kind of projects were you doing for them when you initially branched off uh, branding so brand strategy so either companies were looking to reposition themselves in the market um, or bring, or they were bringing a product or something new to the market. So, you know, I had a process, and it's the process that we kind of perfected at Elevate, that uh, was was strictly brand strategy. So we took a long look at messaging of, you know, what are the differentiators in the market, um, a long look at the audience, um, what resonates with them, and really built a very documented process that allows people to get from here's what we're trying to accomplish and here's what you should be doing and going to market. Um, at the time, you know, a lot of big agencies weren't doing that. Where this was, we used to always tell everybody, by the time we get through this book and this process, there's going to be no questions. You're going to be fully on board. It's going to be the right messaging because we had a process we went through. Um, and, you know, we'd have decks that were ended up being like 200 pages long that you know, with the research, all the development, the testing, uh, so on. And so people really enjoyed that. And at the time with Elevate, we set out to just be good at one thing, and that was branding and brand strategy. We never wanted to be an agency. We didn't want to buy media. We didn't want to do digital. Um, you know, we just wanted to focus on developing brands and you know, making it resonate with an end audience. And at the time, a lot of those types of smaller shops were popping up because all these bigger agencies were kind of going through this, you know, renaissance and turmoil. Mm -hmm. 
So as you were working through that, were there any particular projects or brand strategy rollouts that kind of went better than expected or didn't go as expected that you guys have kind of learned from? Because I found it interesting. I used to work at um, a graphic design agency that did some branding and some strategic marketing. And the branding process I only always found really unique because it's just so much left to interpretation of the agency in terms of really it's in their hands what they think to interpret the data by. You know, does that make sense? So No, it does. It does. Um, you know, that's not the way that we would look at it, though. You know, for in, – in, and this is – as we evolved as a company, you know, we, we got ourselves in some sticky situations because we would get so embedded with the company that hired us that we would learn every aspect of their business because we would want to know that. We would want to know, you know, what is their sales process? You know, how are they cur- currently communicating? How do they make money? You know, what is the, the highest, you know, re- return when it comes to, you know, products they're selling or services they're offered? And, you know, we'd create, you know, this brand and this messaging and a full strategy to go to market. And a lot of times the companies didn't have the internal staff that could operate at that level or execute. So we found ourselves in a, in a couple scenarios, you know, kind of stepping in and, and, and running companies uh, for people. And, you know, whether it's their internal marketing department or a bigger, you know, sales process and how they communicate where, and that's where, you know, when we set out to say, we're going to do one thing, brand strategy, you know, it started to evolve and, you know, it, and it, we all of a sudden became this agency and we got in these situations where the companies were so reliant on us that it wasn't work that we wanted to do, to be honest with you. Um, but I would say, you know, a lot of times it is open interpretation. It's, okay, here's what we think you should do. Um, our process and how we worked with clients, it just, it wasn't that. It was, it was really side by side and really diving into it and really figuring it out together. I think at the end, we were never forcing something on someone. Now, we had a couple instances where, you know, people didn't like the direction we were going, um, you know, but we rarely missed. And I think that's one of the reasons why we grew so fast, because we were a creative first company. The, the other thing, though, that, that was the, the side of that that was, for me, frustrating is I am a perfectionist. You know, I, you know, I, I don't care how well something's going, I think it can always be better. Um, and so we'd put, we developed these brands and we developed these strategies to go to market and we would never want to see it fail. So that's where we would find ourselves still involved or really helping execute or run things when it's not what we wanted to do. But we were so passionate about what we developed for them. We knew it could be a success that we would not let them not succeed with it. So that's where we kind of really got embedded with, you know, some of our clients and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, 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 it strained us a little too much. And, that we, and we, we grew super quick, and in the end, we became an agency, which we didn't want to do in the beginning. Right. So, Did so. you notice any resistance in the ability to sell projects like that? Because another thing that I kind of experienced was almost hard to get them to buy in to believe how important it is at some stages. You know, some people, some, some company executives get it, and some, I guess, just don't. So when you were selling these brand strategies to people and trying to get them to understand that you guys were the best move for their company, do you remember kind of what that sales process was like? You know, it's interesting because I don't look at it as a sales process. Um, a lot of our bigger relationships that, you know, our bigger opportunities that we had with Elevate, um, 
it's it's because of relationships and it's it's because of the person sitting across the table from you even you know when we when i work for larger agencies you know in the end the person you're sitting across the table from working on a small project working on a larger initiative there has to be that genuine like of one another and that you know working together so you know with us you know it was such a creative driven thing that I'm not going to go in and sell something. You know, I'm going to go in and, and, and help them figure out what they're trying to accomplish and tell them what they're doing is wrong, you know, or, or where they need to improve. But for me, it was never going in and selling Elevate or, or any agency going in and the agency selling. I don't, the largest agencies, in the end, there's usually like one creative director or that one account person that that large client just loves to work with. And, you know, so for me, it's, it's, it's all about the person you're sitting across the table from. You know, we uh, we had a couple opportunities, you know, with past clients that at the time we we weren't large enough to handle at Elevate. But, you know, they called us up and they said, look, we want to work with you. And at the time, I, I we couldn't because of like non-competes and all this other stuff. And and, you know, it was, it, you know, to, to say to those clients, it was, you know, greatly appreciate that. I'd love to work with you. I don't like the stuff that you're putting out right now. Um but the only way it's going to happen is if you call the agency and tell them that you want to bring us to the table and, you know, and allow it. And we had a couple of clients do that. And uh, I'll put our creative up against anybody's. And, you know, we, we, we had a couple that the agency backed out of and would, didn't want to compete, uh, you know, with us. And so we got a, we got a couple of large clients and a couple of large retainer. So that way where we would go in and show them what they need to be doing, show them creative, uh, you know, and it was just, it was, it was creative driven, it was better design, it was better messaging than what was out there. Um, and, you know, I'll always figure out a way how to get stuff done, but in those cases, we didn't have the proper staff to, to handle them, or so we, we hired on and we made it happen. Um, we had another instance where we uh, became agency of record for a large health system here in central Ohio. And somehow they called us and wanted us to be part of the RFP process. And I was right up front and I said, look, we're like six people. You know, we, this isn't what we do. But they had seen our decks and how we work. And they're like, we really want you guys to be involved in this. So we went through the process and we pitched it. And, you know, to get that phone call, and it was funny. I remember at the time, like my phone had died or something. And I was going to get a new phone. And they called the office, and so the office trying to get a hold of me, and no one get a hold of me, and it was the contact at the, the health system. And so I took the call, like literally a Tuttle Mall, while my phone just turned on. And, you know, I was staying there, and, and, and they awarded us the account. And at the time, I mean, that was like, I mean, it was like a $30,000 a month retainer. And for, for us at that time, it was like, you know, we didn't have anything like that. Um, and we won it on our creative. We did spec creative for this campaign. They absolutely loved it. We ended up actually running with that campaign for them. Um, but it's always been creative first for us. Yeah, and I, those are kind of stories that I, I really enjoy hearing. But what I want to dive into now is um, when did you decide to stop using your creative on other brands and build your own brands? So I mentioned it a couple minutes ago. I said we became an agency. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, literally, Elevate grew to about 25 people, and I literally didn't enjoy coming to work anymore. It was my company. 
Um, and I, I, I think a lot of people felt that way, where we were no longer doing things differently and you know approaching it different, and we found ourselves, shit, we're an agency. <laughs> and it really became not that fun. Um, and I wasn't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I like to say I, I needed a distraction. So 16-bit was that distraction. Um, my phone's blowing up. <laughs> Could be another health agency, dude. You gotta yeah. It's my banker. Nope, I'm not answering that one. Um, <laughs> the, he's a good guy. Um, the, so yeah, I mean, 16-bit was, it was a distraction. Uh, I, at the end of one year, uh, we, our, the agency had met all our goals. So we, had take, we took the team uh, to Chicago uh, as a celebration for like the holidays. And there was, you know, I, I think every guy in college had their a barcade idea at one point or another. I just want to play video games and drink beer. And, you know, it, I mean, I thought of it in college. You know, I've had other people mention it to me. And there was one place that popped up in Chicago in my old neighborhood there called Headquarters. And I was like, well, we're taking the team up there. I want to stop in there and just check it out. And, you know checked it out and was like, damn, someone actually did this. And um, we were inspired by that. And uh, I, I came back knowing that we were, we were considering doing it and um, looked at the business side of it. And, and it, was, it was a very viable business, not to mention there was a hole in the market. There was nothing like that here in Columbus. Now there's like six of them, but there was nothing like that. And so we, we took that brand through our normal process where we developed the brand first um you know what's the look what's the messaging what's the experience um and if you step in 16-bit today you won't see anything else but our brand so you won't see glassware from you know breweries any mats we don't take any of that stuff because when, when people step in we want to surround them with the experience so from the music they're hearing to the you know the movies on on TV, to the noise the games make, uh, the cocktail menus, the messaging, we wanted to create all these visual cues that will bring back those memories for people. And you know for me it was always riding my bike to at the time was Lawson's from my house and I would always play Kung Fu Master and I would pump so many quarters into the thing. So to hear the start of Kung Fu Master took me back to that like right away. So to give those visual cues and really ex- you know, be able to create an experience um, with the brand was something that was really exciting to us. And you know, we took our time and we did it right, and, but we also did it from a standpoint of we're gonna expand this. I mean, I still, I'm still a businessman at heart. So we went into that saying we're gonna do five markets in three years. So we're at three years right now, we have three markets and two more that we're in negotiations with. So we've kind of hit that goal for us. So two things there. So you talked about, you looked at the business side of things. How did you look at the business side of things when you first got back here to understand that it made sense? What else were you looking at? Did you reach out to headquarters to figure out kind of what their numbers looked like in Chicago? No, and, and I, I, so I don't like doing that because I'm, I'm from the, the, the school of, if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna figure it out myself. And we have people call us at least once a week asking for our business plan. <laughs> it's like, why would we give that 
to anybody. You know, I'll answer questions. I, if it's another local business, I will help out. Um, but no, I mean, you know, one, we wanted to do our own thing. Uh, we, you know, we, we looked at the market. We, you know, at the time I could have told you everything that was similar out there. I could have told you, you know, whether they were doing free play quarters, tokens, buy a beer, you know, we, we did all that. But for us, it was, it was figuring out on our own. And I think that was one of the things that was a huge benefit for us. Because, you know, I mean, it was, you know, again, I'm not from the hospitality industry. I never want to be a restaurant or bar owner. Um, I still look at it as, you know, we build brands. But right now, they just happen to all be bars. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was, it, it's simple math. It's how many people can you get through the door? What's their average ticket going to be? How long are they going to stay there? How many days a week going to be open? It, it's, it, it is simple math when you look at the margins. Um, I mean, the margins in, in alcohol are, 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 are crazy. You know, when we first opened, there was so many people I used, to, I used to love looking at the online forums because, you know, they're doing these games for free. They're going to go out of business. They're not going to make any money. There's no money in the games. I mean, there's, it's, it's all in people staying there and drinking. Um, I mean, our average, our average guest stays three hours. So for us, we're creating experience where you're not going in and staring at a sporting event. You know, we're giving you something else to go in that you can do with friends, you can do on your own. Um, you know, the, and, and frankly, you know, our whole thing with the free play the first thing to go on these games, I mean, these games are from the 70s, early 80s, is that coin mech, okay? If you have a great operating game, but it won't accept a quarter, and you have to put an out-of-order sign on it because of that, it just pisses people off. It took my quarter, I lost my quarter, the coin mech goes, so we just eliminate it. That's why all of our stuff's free play at 16-bit. So, and I don't want to hang on this too much longer, but I'm just really curious because these kind of approaches are always the hardest part in my concept of trying to build a business or think about building a business. So looking at how many people, how long people are going to stay there, like how would you even guess that? I mean, it's research. It's looking at what, what is the average and then knowing that we were building an experience that, you know, really would captivate people. Um, we were hoping that, you know, we'd get people from an average of, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half. And then, you know, we, we just found that, you know, People, even people who didn't play games, would come and hang out because they liked the environment. They liked the music. They liked, you know, one of the, the craziest things, and, and we thought this in the beginning, is we want to be really community-centric. Um, but everybody's like, well, who's your demographic? You know, it's, it's people that grew up on these games. And it's not. It's, it, it is the widest demographic, which I think is why it's such a friendly place to hang out, like no matter what age you are. I mean, when we first opened, I still love the story, is, you know, we'd have that 23-year-old, you know, programmer, you know, you know, in there playing Mortal Kombat for the first time, like on a stand-up, you know, game, uh, playing against the 48-year-old partner at the law firm. And in that moment, they just want to kick each other's ass. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're bringing the, all these different, you know, yeah, people that grew up on them that are rediscovering their childhood, um, you know, Retros in, so you had you have you have uh, you know these tech people and people in the industry are discovering the technology for the first time, and then you know we have a lot of people that want to introduce the kids to them. I mean it's it's it boggles like when you see a kid come in and it just and we're not kid centric. We do one Sunday a month, 
but for them to come in and, and see these big cabinets where it's not just on their iPad and they can't just swipe, it's, it is, it's just crazy. But it's a wide demographic. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you mentioned that the, um, you know, retro is in and you've got a bit of a retro theme going with pins as well. So uh, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, how did, how did you start? So when did you decide, hey, I'm going to create, I mean, you mentioned you're going to be in multiple different markets. It was a plan from the beginning. So how did you develop the idea for pins and um, what did that look like going forward? Yeah, I mean, after we developed 16-bit and, the, you know, the brand was there and we started to expand to other markets, I need another distraction. <laughs> so uh, my, my mind just constantly goes. So pins, you know, we probably started looking at that concept before 16-bit was even open. Um, and we worked on it for about two years uh, before we brought it to, to market. Um, a couple things with it is, you know, what we learned from 16-bit is the amount of corporate events that we do is just ridiculous and that's something we never figured in to our, our business plan and never you know accounted for those dollars so we wanted a larger venue that we can do larger events um, at pins i mean we've had you know we do events from 20 people to 2000 and so it allowed us to do the bigger corporate stuff we also wanted you know to focus more on pinball um, you know pinball started to make a huge comeback now, pinball is way more expensive. It's way harder to maintain. So 16-bit, when we started, you know, frankly, I didn't want to invest the money, you know, in it. In 16-bit, before we opened, I was collecting games for about two years. Um, so, you know, right now, total, we have about 500 arcade games uh, on the floor and in our warehouse. And we have about 75 pinball machines. So... Um, we want with pins. We want to you know create a bigger venue. Uh, we want to create something that was more a group activity than uh, that more people can participate in. And frankly, we wanted to get back to design. And you know myself and Jared Langston, who is my creative director, he one of the kids I kind of hired out of school, and he's been with me now for almost ten years. He can do pretty much everything that I can do. Um, we wanted to really dive back into design. And with pins, you know, we're both super proud of that, that, that location because every touch point is there, you know, from the signage to the finishes, um, the messaging. I, when I go into places, I look at every little detail. And I'm the type of person that will try to find everything wrong. I don't look at everything that's right, I look at everything that's wrong. And so with pins, you know, I, that was my eye of, what is everybody else going to look at? So we put a lot of time into the design, the overall experience. And, you know, we, we teased it a lot, but we kind of kept it quiet because we like that when people step in there, they really don't know what to expect. And they're, we call it the oh shit moment. You know, people walk in that front bar, like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's a bar, you know, video, you know uh, pinball machines. And then they walk through that back to where all the lanes are and everything back there. And I just love watching people because they just, they literally go, oh shit. I mean, it, it's a big place. Plus that, that building has such great bones. Um, I mean, it, it, it's hard for people to walk in and, and, and look at it in the stage it was. Um, and even I walked that building because um, it was shown to me early on because we were looking for new offices downtown for Rise. And I was like, oh, this has to be a brewery. You know, it, this isn't for us, it, you know, there's no way. And we were looking at a different location for pins. 
and I was traveling and I kind of had this epiphany. I was like, it's like, shit, we can put pins in that building. And at the time it was just a huge building. Mm -hmm. And I, I called uh, JR who does all of our real estate and I was like, did you do anything with that building yet? He's like, no, we got you know, a couple of things out there. I was like, D don't do anything. It's my building. Um, and so we, you know, it, we like, from the beginning was 16-bit. We always wanted to be part of the revitalization of a neighborhood or part of an up-and-coming neighborhood. We never wanted to pay premium price to be in the short north or because we're a destination. Uh, you know, we don't need the foot traffic. So this was a great opportunity for us with what was happening on Gay Street um, you know, what's happening on South 4th Street and now North 4th Street with Wolf's Ridge, you know, with other things that are around there. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it, it was a ideal opportunity to create something right downtown. Right. So. so the fact that you said that we don't need the foot traffic, we are a destination is so like, it's, it's so simple, but it's so, it comes across so clever because I don't think a lot of people would really put that together and that could ruin I mean not necessarily ruin but I mean totally change an entire business if you guys didn't realize that off the bat so that's really interesting but see that's right I think it goes to it goes back to design great product and experience so one of my favorite places in Columbus is Fox in the Snow okay undescript building you know it was an old garage on North 4th Street not in the best part of town they don't even have a name on the building but you step in there, great product, awesome people. It's just, it was something new. I mean, for me, I like to find space. So why go down the street and look at every house that's exactly the same? You know, find that empty lot. And if there's not one, create space. Create something new in the segment. I think, you know, Fox in the Snow did that. And, you know, that's the way that we look at our stuff is I'd rather, I'd rather have someone discover us and then become a brand advocate for us because they discovered it as well. And they get to share it with their friends. And if we can create things like that and not be out there and, you know, here's all the radio and everything that goes with it, you know, we're new in town, I think that's where you get more organic growth and you have people that become loyal to your brand because they become a brand advocate. They get to introduce it to other people. I just think it's a more natural way to grow. And I think I might already know the answer to this question, but how much outside advertising do you do? So we don't we don't do a lot. Um, we do we support local publications. So obviously, um, we're we're in the alive and we're in six one four. For a brief stint with sixteen bit, um, we did do uh, radio, but what we said was, I will never do just paid advertising. So we wanted to either be a sponsorship or a brought to you by. So it was like CD 101. It was local radio. And so we, you know, we sponsored the, the, the concert announcements, you know. Um, and so for me, I would rather provide something to the community through, through us activating it than just strictly do advertising. But yeah, we do print advertising at 614 and Alive. It, it, that's just an awareness thing. Mm -hmm. Plus it supports them. What does Rise Brands look like now, the size of the company, and kind of what does the future look like for you guys in your mind? You know, th this is this is going to be a huge year for us because we're... Well, you're on Concord Columbus. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, well, that. I mean, well, I don't... It's, I mean, it's all downhill now. Um, <laughs> the, the, no, I mean, the, we... We, we just built a new, We moved in a new facility over on Chestnut. Um, we're doing a new 
test concept next door to it. Um, and we've, we've grown so much that we have to start bringing on kind of new talent where it's not, you know, myself leading things or, you know, Jared, um, we, it can't be a fun hobby anymore. If you, I mean, we're currently rise brands is eight people company wide. We're about 220 people. Um, when you look at all our management at locations, you know, brand managers, bartenders, barbacks, you know, everything. Um, this year, we'll probably double that at Rise, uh, at a minimum. Um, we, I sucked up after literally probably 10 months of debating it, and uh, we hired a COO who's joining us, who's coming from a, another brand here in town, uh, a large brand that he was really successful growing for the last seven years. So, you know, for, for us, you know, I said it earlier, I just, I want to do what I'm good at. And I love finding new locations. I love growing brands. I don't want to hire the HR component and the, you know, the controller that we need this and that. So for me to hire someone on and say, okay, here it is. I've taken it as far as I can. Now we need your help to get it to this next level. Um, I'll be the first one to admit when I can't do something, or I just don't want to. Uh, so I think it's I think it, it was time for us to hire on a much more senior person uh, from a company standpoint. Um, but we have several positions that we're slated to hire, and we're just we're trying to keep up right now. And then any other places besides Columbus you guys are looking to branch out into? Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we have a lot of opportunities right now. Uh, I mean, we get calls probably twice a week from developers, uh, especially with PINs. PINs, uh, it's actually more scalable than 16-bit, even though it costs a lot more to do, just because the larger developers, we can be an entertainment anchor. So, like with Bridge Park in Dublin, uh, we're going to be the entertainment anchor up there for that. Uh, you know, we've, we've had proposals from a site in Brooklyn, uh, a site in Philadelphia. Uh, we've had an interesting conversation about someone wanting to take us to larger markets, um, who's, they do this, like that's what they do. Um, right now, uh, we're taking pins to Dublin and we're taking pins to Cincinnati. We haven't, we haven't announced that yet. There you go, look at that. Uh, well, this is the first for everything. We're the biggest primetime brand. <laughs> Listen, Jack Hanna told us that if he finds Bigfoot, we're going to be the first to know. There you go. Okay, Look so at that. This is a big podcast for there first. Yeah. a pin release. Yeah. <laughs> Look at That's that. What it's all about. There you go. Uh, but we're, uh, we're doing a pins in Cincinnati and over the Rhine, uh, about two blocks from where 16-bit is down there. Um, we have been down in Louisville a lot, uh, looking to take both brands down there. Um, and... We have some interesting opportunities. I, we haven't committed to anything there yet. And then for me, the you know Cincinnati, Louisville was always a natural step step to Nashville. Um, Nashville could be a great market for us, um, and we'd like to keep working our way south. To be honest with you, um, so you know we have about five markets we're looking at. Uh, if we don't open four more pins next year, to me it'll be a failure. Uh, so we're that's our goal. And that's what we're going to do. I think we can get there. Um, and then we have two other brands that we're working on that people will eventually see. 
You want to announce them? We can do it. (laughs) I can't do that. Can't do that. (laughs) Something that's interesting though, you're very good at paying attention to detail and being aware of your environment, understanding kind of what's working, what's not, and just like kind of personally the way my brain works, I don't realize things like that. Like if I tried doing what you do, I'd just fail miserably. So what I'm interested in is do you go into certain markets and kind of just say, this market isn't right for us? And kind of how does that process work in these places? Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I always say when, when, I, when I think and I, you know, look at ideas, you know, I, it's like running a lap in my head. And so I'll run like 200 laps on something before I'll even verbalize it um, or, you know, or kill it. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll go into markets and, and we'll, we'll sit, you know, talk to people, get a feel for it. Uh, go on a Tuesday because it's always going to be dead. Um, have great conversations. Uh, go on a Friday, Saturday. Uh, I mean, we were in the beginning with 16-bit. We were going to do Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. Sorry, Pittsburgh fans. I just, I, I, I we weren't feeling it. We just, <laughs> we weren't feeling it. And uh, we've had a lot of requests to go there and, and a lot of offers. But, I mean, we, we weren't feeling it. And the laws are still archaic when it comes to arcade machines and alcohol. And it's still gambling. It's it was weird. And same with indie. You know, we looked at indie hard, and indie's not off. You know, the list yet, but I just I just wasn't feeling it yet. Now Louisville, we go down there. I love that town. It's it's a fun town. It's one with a huge bat, right? Yeah, it is. Nice. It is. Been there once. The Louisville Sluggers. Yeah. Yeah, cool. man. Mm-hmm. Got a picture next to the bat. <laughs> so. Uh, Wrap it up here. One of the last questions we always tend to ask our guests is um, based on so the back of our shirts. We have shirts. They don't sell very much, but we have shirts. We'll throw them in pins, though, right? Right. Sure. Go <laughs> we get a verbal commitment. <laughs> it is kind of crazy because they're both sitting here right now with no shirts on. <laughs> um, <laughs> now they're gonna be searching for the YouTube. Video. Right. Yeah. Um, but so on the back of our shirts it says "Live uncomfortably," okay. because we feel that in order be successful you have to constantly push yourself not only outside your comfort zone but um just beyond where you feel you're comfortable and i guess my question for you from that is um what does the phrase mean to you and how have you lived uncomfortably in your lifetime it was uncomfortable for me to right that, that was a bad question that was a bad question we're gonna edit that though so don't worry about it you guys won't even know what josh <laughs> is talking about right now yeah. well so yeah. You probably are, are, are talking to one of the few people who agree 1,000% with that. Um, I've, I've always believed in, and a little too much because I've freaked my parents out. I've freaked past people out in relationships. I feel like I have to be backed into a corner to get to what's next. I feel like you have to you know, take two steps back to get four steps forward. Um, I mean, there was instances in college where, you know, you know, with, with jobs where I'd, I'd put myself in a situation where it's like, okay, I got, I have to do this now. Um, even, you know, starting the business, uh, you know, I mean, when we started Elevate, we were backed in a corner. It, it, I probably never would have made that decision if, you know, things didn't happen the way they did. I didn't have a wife who was eight months pregnant. Uh, you know, we've, I've always, we've always strived to do more. And then if, unless I'm uncomfortable, I, I don't feel like we're doing it right. 
and and it's funny too because I belong to to EO. Do you guys know what EO is here in Columbus? Mm-hmm. So you know, in in my forum, you know, we you know, we have eight people that we're together because we're very aggressive with growing our businesses, um, and we're also just super like minded. But my level of comfort compared to some of their their level of comfort, even though they're hard charging, is they think I'm off the reservation, um, you know, with the risks and stuff that we do. But I don't see, I don't consider them risks. You know, uh, opening 16-bit and deciding to shutter Elevate, for me, it was just what was next, you know. Going from, you know, not doing this three years ago to opening PINs, which is a 16,000-square-foot facility, um, was a huge undertaking. But it's something we just figure out as we go. Um, you know, I, I, I like to constantly be challenged. I like to put myself at a point where I'm in a corner and I have to fight my way out, and it's the only way. That's how I've always gotten to the next stage in life. So I think people that you know get to that comfortable spot and they're, they're, they're there and they're fine with it, great. I can never, ever operate that way. It's just not who I am. Are you afraid of your ideas failing ever? Does that ever cross your mind? I've had so many bad ideas that you have no idea, but they don't see the light of day. I mean, they get vetted. Uh, I mean, ask my wife. I have some of the, I work on sh- stuff in our basement, and I have products that she thinks I'm crazy. Some I still think could be really cool. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, just stuff just never seems to light a day. I would say, you know, we've probably thought through 50 different concepts in the last two years. Um, when, when we decided to do 16-bit we decided to do pins, there was no question in my mind that they were going to be successful. And that goes back to when we did our brand strategy. You know, By the time we took clients from the beginning to the end, by the time we got to the end, I knew it was going to be a home run for them. It's just, it's just going through the process and, and vetting it. Um, I appreciate people that kind of, and I'm an off-the-cuff guy. I, I charge hard. But you know, I, I had no doubt in those concepts. Uh, I never did. And, you know, I had advisors and stuff who, who questioned them, you know, Randy Gerber, who you guys interviewed. Um, uh, you know, but I just, once I make a decision, I go. Is there a certain point that you know to kill it? Uh, some yes, some no. Um, some I just get, I finally give up because no one's buying into what I'm doing. <laughs> or some are just really, really bad ideas. I mean, I have... Literally, we can sit here for another hour and talk about bad ideas. Uh, but now it's just eventually you know if it's going to float or not. You, you, can't, you can't drink your own Kool-Aid. Um, in the end, you have to be looking at the end audience. Um, I say now, it's, I, I build places that I would hang out at, but yet I'm, I don't hang out at them. It's like one of my rules is, you know, pins I've probably been to three times when we're open. I'm there a lot when we're not open. But... You know, I we want to create experiences or even brands that other people want and, and we know they're going to love. So if I was just focusing on what I think is awesome, yeah, I'd say pretty much 99% of the stuff would fail. So, Well, I never know when to kill questions, so I think I'll stop right there. We'll kind of wrap <laughs> it up. But that was an awesome interview. Appreciate your time, Troy, and uh, thanks for being on the show. No, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Conquerors. That's the end of episode 42. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on, and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.